welcome to Gil Reads Comics, where every week we recap and review your favorite comics. This week, we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man, issues 8, 9, and 10, the first three issues of the current heist story arc, where Spider-Man meets one of his on-again, off-again romantic partners and foes, Black Cat. These issues were all written by Nick Spencer, with art by Ryan Otley. There is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books. Comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's going to stop me. Adam. We have a big, big episode today. We're talking about three issues of Spider-Man, the heist story arc. But besides that, we've got a few other segments, too. We're going to start with comic news. This, (laughs) I wasn't going to do the sound effect this time, so we could just put in the real one. Drop it in right here. This first news story, and the only news story we're going to talk about, is actually sort of a downer. But I always like to start on a downer, so the rest of the episode is just an upward trend. That's the way to do it, right? Yeah, or like the whole thing could be positive. Oh. Well, sometimes you got to take your medicine, and this is the medicine. (laughs) Netflix is continuing their Marvel bloodbath. Remember a few weeks ago they canceled Iron Fist and Luke Cage? Yeah, can I take a guess? Yeah. Did they cancel Punisher? No, they canceled Daredevil. Ah. But the writing's on the wall. I mean, Jessica Jones Season 3 is in production right now. Punisher Season 2 wrapped up production recently. So those shows will air, but nobody expects them to continue. Like They're going to be canceled too. Mm -hmm. So what the heck is going on here? I read this article from Forbes called The Real Reason Netflix is Canceling Their Marvel Shows. And it sounds like the ratings on all of these shows have dropped a bit, but they're still at a level where you'd say this show's doing well, it's got a big audience, you would keep this show under normal circumstances. But you might be aware that Disney is coming out with their own streaming service called Disney+. Plus which is going to be a direct competitor of Netflix. In fact, a lot of the Disney shows and movies are going to move from Netflix to Disney+. So you would look at this and say, why would Netflix want to continue showing Daredevil, you know, uh, Luke Cage, all these shows, if they're essentially going to be advertisements for their competitor, Disney+. So ratings are coming down a bit. And you, you combine that with the fact that this is that now they have a direct competitor. Plus, there's the fact that if you look at the data, it seems like a lot of the people who watch these Marvel Netflix shows are already Netflix subscribers or they already watch a lot of other Netflix content. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a value add in terms of getting new subscribers. So you couple all that together and it just makes business sense for Netflix to cancel all these shows. The really frustrating thing, though, is that 
they do keep hinting that in one shape or another, these shows will come back. If you look at Marvel's official statement on Daredevil, for example, you know, Marvel is extremely grateful to the huge audience that loved Marvel's Daredevil, uh, blah, 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 it goes on. And then at the end of their statement, they say, we look forward to more adventures with the man without fear in the future. So they give this vague hint that there will be more stories. But if you look at the Twitter feed of the writers, you can see that the people who worked on this show were caught off guard by the cancellation. They had a writer's room with a whole season four mapped out. So Marvel's hinting the show's going to come back in some form, but clearly if it does, it wouldn't involve the people that are working on it today because they weren't aware of the cancellation. They don't know of any future plans. Hmm. And then the last thing I'll say on this topic is uh, the other thing that makes this really frustrating, probably the main thing that makes this frustrating, is that you could think the easy move here is these shows have a great audience. Disney is coming out with their own streaming service, Disney+. Plus. All right, cancel the shows on Netflix and then move them over. Put them on the new Disney streaming platform. In fact, they've already announced a lot of shows they're going to produce, and some of them sound pretty interesting. They're doing a Loki show, you know, from uh, Loki from Thor. Right. And they're actually getting the same actor to play him. Big actor. That was going to be my question. Yeah, and they're also doing that with Scarlet Witch and The Vision. Uh, And those are also a couple big actors, and they're going to be playing playing those characters on a Disney uh, streaming television show. So you would think Daredevil. Move them to this new streaming platform. But apparently, there's kind of a rift in Marvel. There's the Marvel movie people and the Marvel TV people. And they exist in totally separate worlds. They don't get along very well. On, a, on like a personal level, apparently they just don't work well together. And it's created a rift where they just don't interact much. That's partially why if you watch the Marvel shows... They'll make reference to the movies, kind of vague references, but you don't have any good direct crossovers, and it never goes the other way. You never see the Marvel movies reference the Marvel TV shows. The Disney Plus platform, this new streaming service, those shows are being produced by Marvel movie people. So Alan Sepinwall, he's kind of a known um, film and television critic, He has insider sources, and he talked about this rift between Marvel and TV. And he says that because of that rift, it's very unlikely that these TV shows, Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, etc., will move over to Disney+. They could do it, but they don't want to. If that's true, that's infuriating. Right? Hmm. This is complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of dots to connect there. The bottom line is that great shows, great creations, great content is being canceled. And if it's just business, I'm fine with that. You've got to do what makes sense. But it sounds like there's other stuff behind the scenes, non-business stuff, that's maybe preventing these shows from moving forward, which is just really frustrating. It sounds like in one shape or another, Daredevil will come back. But what will it look like? We don't know, and I hope it comes back soon. The, the main tragedy for me is that the writing's on the wall, right? Punisher is going to get canceled next, and I love that show. So, What is with the disconnect between the TV people and the movie people? 
I don't why know is it that they don't get along. It's se- it's a really bizarre thing because it seems like it's a well known accepted fact in public. People just accept, yeah, Marvel movies and TV, they just don't get along. They don't talk to each other. Um, you'll see in public some of the Marvel TV actors and actresses will call them out and say, we want to be in the movies, we want to interact with them, but they just don't let it happen. Uh, who knows? You know, hmm. Maybe that'll change once they're all on the same platform. Maybe. Maybe this will – maybe when the Marvel movie people start producing you know, their miniseries and their shows, maybe this will get rid of that rift somewhat, hopefully. I mean, if it's it's just such a frustrating thing, and, and you would think that these are adults we're talking about, right? So, yeah. like, do what makes business sense. Don't let this personal stuff get in the way. I actually think a miniseries model lends itself well to this genre. It really does because, I mean, the comics – in general, they're very long, ongoing stories. They're not really created to be these one- or two-hour films, which is what they're doing today. Yeah. So I think a miniseries format would fit really well. I agree. Right, especially because you have these like several-issue runs where it's kind of one self-contained story inside of something broader. And that would be agreed, and that would probably avoid some of the issues that you have with the Netflix Marvel series. A lot of times it feels like they have two or three too many episodes where they try and drag the story out. So a miniseries, that could be the perfect sweet spot. Right. And if it's if it's all being done within Disney's own ecosystem, then they don't really have anyone to answer to in, in terms of uh, saying, like, well, Netflix ordered 10 episodes, but this actually works better as three. Right. Right. So, you know, it's kind of bad news, but I'm hoping in the end, you know, over the next few years, Disney will sort themselves out and figure out what they're doing with uh, with these characters, and we'll, we'll get them in a good place. But for now, it's a little frustrating. Enough about that, though. Okay, that's the downer. That's the bitter pill we had to take. Now we go to the good stuff. There's a segment we did a few weeks back, which you probably thought was a one-off. We're never going to do this segment again. We're bringing it back today. Comic or comic-related dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a comic dream, but my brother, our other brother, our older brother, Alun, this morning he woke up and he told me a comic-related dream that he had. And, this and he's not even a comic guy. He's not, but he's been catching up on Gil Reed's comics lately, so I think we might have influenced him. I think he fell asleep listening to our podcast. We incepted him. Exactly. And this one's a little spooky. So, you know, you might get a little frightened listening to this one so alun he's a kid uh in the dream in real life he's older than me but in the dream he's a kid he's hanging out with his friends at school it's after school the teachers are all gone so they're all alone in this building except for one other person the joker joker's Mm -hmm. chasing him around the school and somehow they get split up at one point alun went into a classroom and he's going to pull the door shut so he can hide, but then he notices the Joker walking down the hall. So he figures he can't close the door or he'll see the movement of the door. So he stops it while it's just open a little bit. The Joker's approaching. Eventually, the Joker gets right to the crack of the door and is staring right through it. So Alon figures, the Joker can definitely see me right now, but I don't want to move just in case. 
Joker grabs a door, sticks his arm in, and Alun's trying to close the door or whatever. Eventually, he gets away. The, uh, the end of the dream is that Alun's at the top of the staircase, and he's looking down at his friend at the bottom of the staircase. His friend doesn't see the Joker is approaching him. But Alun doesn't want to say anything and call attention to himself. Then the Joker <laughs> walks over and throws a green towel at Alun's friend. Alun thinks the towel, well, confirmed, I guess, the towel was soaked in poison. Uh. I think that maybe it was acid because it was a green towel. (laughs) But but Alun says it was poison. How will we ever know which of you is right? (laughs) He also couldn't remember if it was a Heath Ledger Joker or, you know, a Jordan Leto Joker. It was just sort of generic Batman Joker. Jared Leto. Yeah. And I don't even I didn't even see that movie. Suicide Squad. Yeah. It's pretty uh, scary. How do you dream. interpret how do you interpret this? I think see I think Alon got it all wrong. <laughs> I don't think he was a kid. I think he was the Joker. <laughs> how do you interpret it? You're <laughs> you're the one that's got some you have more well, uh, you know experience listen, all right. uh I think he has a green towel in his bathroom. That's true. <laughs> That's true, yeah. He does. That's his towel. I think, you know what this is? This is? He probably hasn't washed that towel in a very long time. So it's turning And his brain is warning him. It's like, your towel Your towel's poisonous. You got to do your laundry. Yeah. And the, joke, the Joker just represents uh, his, his lack of hygiene. <laughs> It sounds like a horrible like advertising campaign. Like DC's teaming up with um Bounty. It's like remember kids, do your laundry. <laughs> and then it ends with him throwing the towel at the camera and it just like splats on the screen. All right, it's pretty scary, huh? Yeah, that was more like comic or comic related nightmares. Yeah. So that's the I guess that first we'll... one was too. That's true, yeah. Less uh, less spooky, but equally scary. Yeah. Uh, so that's a segment that we can't promise it on a regular basis. But hey, if one of us has a dream about comics, we'll bring it back. And now, so we, we've brought it up a little bit. We're going to bring it up even more because you did some homework on uh, the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse film. You were tasked with a couple things. We wanted you to watch the trailers, let us know what you think, are you excited for the movie, and we wanted you to watch a clip from the Peanuts movie and see if you agree with my assessment that the animation style is very similar between Into the Spider-Verse and Peanuts. So Adam, tell us tell us your overall, uh, tell us what you think. Uh, so I agree that the animation style is similar with the Peanuts. And I did a little reading about the animation style, and it looks like a lot of thought went into it about how to produce the feeling of a two-dimension, like the feeling of seeing two dimensions, even in a 3D context. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what went into the Peanuts movie, and I think they probably just borrowed a lot of that technology for this. Uh, and I thought it was well done, and it, the trailer looked really cool because as I was watching it, I felt like I could pause on any given second, and that could be a com- uh, like a panel from a comic strip. Um, so the visual style was cool, and they kind of we- weaved in 
um, like cartoony looking or draw like drawn in elements. Yeah. Um, is very faithful to, uh, comic books. Right. Did you think, uh, a little too silly? Did you agree with Alon on that? Mm, I, I can see that criticism, but that's just what Spider-Man is. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard to object to the silliness. That's just kind of how it's supposed to be. Right. Cool. Hey, that's an exclusive. I've never seen anybody else make the Peanuts comparison. So I think this is the third time we've brought it up. I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm going to keep hammering hammering that, that in. Peanuts yes, everyone must know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing the movie, though, especially now that uh, I know the reviews are really good. Yeah, and you are gonna, you're seeing it from a different perspective than most people. You're reading Spider-Man now, so you'll probably get some references that other people don't get. You can be, you know, people a lot of times will talk about the smug readers, like Game of Thrones podcasts. You have people that watch the show, but then you have the smug book readers. What did you think of this episode? I I know. I already knew what was going to (laughs) happen. You can be one of those people. I like, well, I, I do like the feeling of knowing I've read the Game of Thrones books when I'm talking about the show. Yeah. So I think I'll get the same kind of snobbery from having read Spider-Man. You'll be in the theater watching Into the Spider-Verse and just tap on the shoulder of the person in front of you and be like, you know, I read the comics. (laughs) What? I read the comics, the Spider-Man comics. Okay. But not the Spider-Verse comics. I read just the ones, Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man, the new ones. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. By the way, this is just like peanuts. <laughs> a lot of people don't think so. They don't know. They think that the animation style is really original. But if you watch it, I do this podcast with my brother and he told me to watch the peanuts. Sir, can you stop it, please? Okay, wait, wait, sorry, sorry. Just watch the peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a great uh, emergency Gil Reads Comics episode uh, after I get thrown out of the theater. I can tell you about my experience. Yeah. Got thrown out of another theater here. I'm standing in front of and uh oh wait, I should edit that part out. I don't want people to know where I live. <laughs> we'll bleep that out. Okay. I said the name of the movie theater right next to me. Yeah, I'll I'll cut this. Okay. Well or you, depends who edits. Yeah. Alright, well bottom line, we're excited for this movie. I can't wait. You can't wait? Right? I can't wait. All right. <laughs> Bring I, up can, the I can wait a little bit, but I'm. I'll be honest. I can wait, but I look forward to seeing it. All right, you can't wait more than two weeks, though, which is good because that's how much time we have before the movie comes out. Well, what I can't wait for, I can't wait any longer. We got to dive into Amazing Spider-Man Heist, issues 8 through 10. And before we dive in... I will say that getting uh, gearing up to this issue, I had some mixed feelings because the last couple issues we read, A Trivial Pursuit, I didn't love those issues. I think I said that on the comic. A little too silly for me. One of the things I wanted to see is I wanted the action to slow down a little bit because I missed some of the drama, some of the focus on MJ and Peter that we had in the first couple of issues. I wanted some of that. 
And we got it. In these three issues, we definitely got more focus on MJ. The action slowed down a bit. I'll also say, I mean, to be honest, the last couple of issues were so over-the-top silly and so jokey, part of me started to wonder, hey, you know what? Maybe I just have to admit this run of Spider-Man just isn't for me. I almost suggested to you, maybe we should stop covering Spider-Man. But these three issues turned me around. I loved them. Slowed down the action a bit. The jokes worked a lot better for me. So overall, very positive on Amazing Spider-Man issues 8 through 10. I think with that, let's dive in. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Issue 8, we open up with Spider-Man free-falling from a building. He says that he usually enjoys that, but this time's a little different. And we'll figure out why later, because we cut to a flashback right from that free-fall, where we're in a nightclub. And uh, this guy, David, uh, this David, what's his last name, Adam? McCauley. David McCauley. Dave McCauley. Dave McCauley approaches this clearly famous or well-known or somehow important person, Odessa Drake. And he approaches her with a business opportunity. And by the way, if anyone, I would say that if you're going to approach someone to pitch them a business opportunity, I wouldn't actually call it that. I think that makes it sound less trustworthy. I would say, hey, I've got something really interesting, uh, something you might be interested in. I wouldn't say, I have a business opportunity. Doesn't it just sound not very trustworthy? Yeah. I would say as soon as the pitch turns into, hey, this thing will make you rich, it probably won't. And that's essentially the pitch. She's one of the top five richest people in uh, the East Coast. And he says, let me handle your investments and I'll make you the richest person. I mean, crazy rich. And she essentially throws the investment portfolio or the papers that he hands her. Essentially, she throws those back in his face and and, uh, asks him some accusatory questions like, "Ah, does this tell me, you know, how many villages your oil companies have burned down? You know, to build mines? Does this talk about the families you ruined with the financial crisis? She's calling him out for being evil. Which will, you know, will be ironic when we find out who this Odessa Drake person is. Yeah, I didn't have a good feeling from her right from the start. No. I mean, well, it was, it's an interesting scene because who's the villain here, right? Is it this guy? Is it her? And then you slowly see the, the tide turning and you realize she's the one in control here. And then at a certain point, everyone in the club, in the nightclub, stops dancing. And they sort of creepily surround Dave. And at first, I kind of read that as, is this like a mind control thing? This Odessa Drake, did she just, is she like a mutant X-Men person? What was hmm. your read on that? I mean, what was your reaction? I, as you were I thought it was some thing? kind of setup. Which is exactly what it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, like the clubbers are actually just her more of her people and they're part of it's revealed in this scene that all the people in this club are part of the thieves guild and she tells dave this is is a trial for you because you didn't pay your dues and we get a little hint at what that means it becomes clearer later but dave he responds and says what you mean the fountain you're kidding right 
dump 10% of what you made in the water. I saw one of the old guys do it once. Couldn't stop laughing. I'm not going to throw away millions like that. And when you read that, what, what the heck? You're probably thinking, like, what the heck is he talking about? Well, so once, once I saw her mention a, a guild of some kind, and he's talking about putting 10% in a fountain, it gave me uh, a sense that this is some kind of... Um, like almost mystical order of thieves. Right. And so putting money in the fountain is some, either is for their God or it's some, has some aspect of superstition. Yeah. Which is very fitting. We've pointed out a few times, Nick Spencer, the writer of this story, uh, this, this whole run of, of Spider-Man. I think he really likes these secret societies, Illuminati. There've been a couple references to that. There's the bar with no name, you know, the bar mm-hmm. that's been around since Satan times that all Which the villains does, go to. Uh, trivia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where they have trivia night. He loves these secret societies. Well, from there, we cut to the Avengers Mansion, and we start to get a taste of what the Thieves Guild is up to because there's an intern being shown around Avengers Mansion, and then when they open up, the uh, the room with all the costumes, costumes are all gone. What do you think of this reveal here? So I, I almost paid less attention to the fact that the costumes were missing and was more just focused on the fact that they're bringing the Avengers into it because thus far we've only very peripherally been exposed to them in this comic. True. There was, I like think, just back at the in beginning. issue one or two, uh, yeah, the Avengers were all being overwhelmed by those aliens Spider-Man mm-hmm. showed up. They were all annoyed at him. It turned out it was Mysterio, which was embarrassing for Peter Parker because he thinks, dang, it was one of my villains this time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, once I saw all the stuff was missing, it's like, okay, it's got to have something to do with the thieves that we just learned about. Yeah. I liked the way they handled the reveal because – so they want to tell us that essentially these thieves are going around and stealing – costumes or important artifacts to our heroes they could have revealed that by having you know a random security guard in avengers mansion opens up the door and sees all the costumes are missing but they start by showing us like i said before this intern who has been tasked by tony stark with becoming the caretaker essentially for the mansion so when i first started reading this scene i thought oh this intern maybe he plays into this somehow he's gonna Maybe he's a plant from the villains. Maybe he's going to become a hero. But it was just a way to kind of create some tapestry for this scene to take place in. And then you get to the reveal that the costumes are missing. From there, we're at Smorgasbord. How do you pronounce this word, Adam? I always struggle with this. Well, so I think this this is like a play on words because the, the real word is like Smorgasbord, right? But this says Smorgasburg. Hmm. Um, so I think that maybe they made up either a fake location or Smorgasburg is like the name of some kind of food festival that they're at. Uh, Smorgasburg, however you say it, is a real thing. Oh, Every really? week in Brooklyn by the East River, they have this open-air food market. Every oh, twenty to 30,000 people show up every weekend. Wow. Well. That's what's great about these Spider-Man comics. They're not just fun to read, but they affect your life in real ways. Because I didn't know about Smorgasburg. 
And then I looked it up because of reading this issue, and now I've got plans for next weekend. Bam. So Field I'm going to I'm gonna go there with my mic, and I'll do a live report. <laughs> He'll look for Spider-Man. Did you guys see Spider-Man here last week? <laughs> well, we see Peter and MJ are at Smorgasburg. And, you know, we, we've been saying from the start that we're a little worried about Peter and MJ because they got back together, but the fundamental things that drove them apart haven't really changed. But every time we check back in with them, Things seem to be going well. And on top of that, you know, I mentioned before that the comedy got a little too silly for me in the previous issues. But here, I think they made it more grounded and it worked for me. You know, for example, where uh, MJ's eating this this like waffle covered in uh, ice cream, caramel, fruity pebbles. Peter gets all excited <laughs> about the fruity pebbles. And she tells him, indeed they are tiger it's almost like i know how to order a tasty treat for the only adult male i've ever met who considers cereal dinner she has not met enough adult males yeah she's only met one who thinks of cereal as dinner (laughs) how often do you eat cereal as dinner maybe once a month and what what's your go-to cheerios yeah yeah me too nice and plain exactly if I'm feeling if I'm feeling frisky, I'll I'll slice up a banana and put that in. Feeling frisky? That sounded really <laughs> weird. When I feel frisky, I have to slice up my banana. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, things just got dark at Gilreads Comics. We got to bring it bring it back up. Fruity yeah, that pebbles. Was unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> I so, used to like fruity pebbles, but too sweet now. Too sweet, way too sweet. That's what happens when you become an adult. You lose the taste for these. These sweet things, but not after Peter Parker. And so we have some good-natured, classic MJ Peter ribbing, and things seem to be going well with them. And now we learn a little bit about MJ here. She's apparently struggling a bit with her job search. You probably didn't know about all these different careers she's had. You know, she was a supermodel, worked at Stark Industries at one point as a high-powered executive, and now... She's unemployed, and I don't think she's too yeah, happy about we even, that. We even see it apparently when she was modeling, she did some kind of topless stuff. Whoa. Wait, based on? Yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. I yeah, didn't catch if that. If you look at the panel, they're just tastefully covering you know, any naughty bits, but I wonder how Peter feels about that. Wow. Mm-hmm. That would be weird if they made that a focus of one issue. Peter, it's like <laughs> a chase. Very strange. The the movie Chasing Amy, uh, Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. If they basically did Chasing Amy by way of Peter Parker and MJ, the next <laughs> issue, Pete's like, "Hey, I gotta say, MJ, I'm very uncomfortable with uh, with these pictures from yeah. a few years back." <laughs> that probably wouldn't be the most fun issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would read it though. I'd be curious. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, Pete gets a phone call before he can uh, call MJ out on her on her past deeds. Pete gets a phone call from uh, Tony Stark. So he throws on his Spider-Man mask, and he is being called in to help with this uh, with this issue with the costumes all being stolen. So he swings away, and from there we get a sort of montage where the heroes are all dealing. With, with these thieves. I mean, we don't see the thieves in action, but we keep seeing different heroes realize that 
some important thing is missing. So, for example, Captain America, he's throwing his shield around. He throws it. Normally it bounces back. This time he throws it and it's gone. You know, Thor, he's got his hammer. He throws his hammer. Then his hammer's gone. And he that asks was the himself, most surprising one. What's that? That was the most surprising one. Right, because who can lift that hammer? Nobody. Very few. Yeah, just him. Now it's not we do have to we do have to be clear. This is not the um what's the Adam, what's the name of the hammer that Thor normally has? Uh it's like starts with an M, right? Yeah. Mjolnir, something like that. M J O L N R. Molnir. Mjolnir. <laughs> that hammer only those who are worthy can pick up that hammer. But Thor is currently not in possession of that special hammer. He is a different one. But still, this other hammer, you have to be a god to pick it up. So it is hmm. surprising that anybody was able to, to steal it. What if you cut the land around it and then you take, all the, you take the soil? Like a chunk of earth. Well, you can't lift the soil with the hammer on it. Uh, okay, so you probably pull up the soil and the hammer would just stay there or just sink deeper. Exactly. Mm. And then Thor asked himself, how does this keep happening to me? Because he keeps, he keeps losing his sword, his, his uh, yeah. hammer. He had an axe at one point. <laughs> <laughs> it's also worth noting, just to give you some, uh, some background on all this, Captain America, those uh, folks he was fighting... You saw somebody said to him, more nukes, Cap? you got to be kidding me. You probably saw that and you thought, more nukes? What the heck are they talking about? Yeah. Well, these people he's fighting, you see how they all have these American flags tattooed on their face? Mm-hmm. So there was a villain a while back, pops up now and then, named Nuke. And that was his signature. That's how you, he had an American flag tattooed on his face. So it looks like instead of just the one guy, Nuke, there's a bunch of them now. Hmm. It's hard to hate people who have an American flag on them. Well, wait till you learn where this American flag came from. Because mm. I know we keep dipping back into the darkness. We have to take mm. one more trip into darkness so I can tell you the background of this Nuke character. You ready? Yeah. Frank Simpson. When he was young, he was the son of a wealthy, abusive, alcoholic woman. And Frank formed an unhealthy obsession with his babysitter in a sort of maternal way. So the babysitter manipulated Frank into murdering his own mother. Jesus. And then Logan, Wolverine, showed up and he killed the babysitter who was in love... So the babysitter was in love with Frank's dad. That's why she wanted the mom out of the picture. Mm. So now Frank's babysitter is with Frank's dad, Charlie. Okay? Yeah. And then Wolverine kills the babysitter. So Charlie, Frank's dad, kills himself. Oh. And and then Wolverine kidnaps Frank and brings him to the uh, Weapon Plus facility. Now, that's the place that created Captain America and created Wolverine with the adamantium. Mm-hmm. And then he tortures Frank. Wolverine tortures this kid. Huh. Tattoos an Ameri- or, or carves an American flag into his face. <laughs> wow. 
anyway, there's a he fought in Vietnam, Frank. There's a whole lot of other backstory. The bottom line is that he's kind of crazy. He he has two hearts and some cyborg parts. And he's uh he's dangerous. Interesting. And I guess now there's a whole bunch of people that follow his ideology. Captain America fights them. It's like a civil war. Yeah. All right, so if you see somebody with an American flag tattooed on their face, run the other way. Yeah, or kill their babysitter. Kill their babysitter. All right, we're back. Like we said, Pete runs off to deal with this costume missing stuff situation. And we also see Odessa, that lady from the nightclub. You know, she's the head of this thieves' guild. And she's on basically a mountaintop giving a speech to her guild of thieves that are all in their their garb now, their official secret society clothing. Robes. Robes, exactly. And she's giving sort of a inspirational speech. You know, our uh, our guild has been quiet for a long time, and because of that, there's no more rules anymore. She says, fools and madmen in costumes denigrating our profession no rules no order no union and while she says this we see an image of a bunch of villains that you might recognize where do you, where have you seen these villains before adam mm. got a guy with an eight ball uh, well who's the eight ball i think his name is eight ball oh, okay I, is that kingpin on the left no that's hammerhead yeah no, I don't recognize these you, people. You saw a lot of these <laughs> these villains at the bar with no name. Mm. So it's very well, relevant. Yeah, I didn't read that. You just told oh, me Oh, yeah, that's it. true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mentioned the eight ball, though. So That does sound familiar. This is relevant because she's saying there's no more union anymore, no more rules. And that's true because they were at the bar with no name where there are supposed to be rules, but they clearly broke them, you know, fighting. Mm. There's no more respect. So we kind of have to respect what Odessa's doing here, right? No, I, I hate her. I think she's an idiot. <laughs> she's, <laughs> explain. I'd rather villains don't stick to rules because they'll not succeed as well. That's true. I didn't think about that. But if you have all the <laughs> villains kind of running rogue on their own, they're all weaker. If they unite, yeah, but- they become stronger than the sum of their parts. Right, that's bad for their victims. <laughs> that's a really good point. You know, it's a good thing I'm not in charge. I say, yeah, let the let the let's all lay. Here's my plan: let's all lay low for a while. You know, Spider-Man, Luke Cage, stop it. Let the villains unite, create order, and then it'll be easier to deal with. It's a terrible plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I also just see her as. I mean. She she she's a thief. That's I don't true. care if she has rules about her her stealing. Yeah, and it's she keeps talking about the honor of thieves, like they're doing this big noble thing. There's she, no honor among thieves. That's an, everyone knows that. Yeah, that's, that's a saying. A, I guess she she maybe has been sort of living under a rock for a while, because it seems like she's bringing this this society that's been quiet for a long time back to the forefront. I think if she knew what the world was like now, that we figured it out. We figured out that there's no honor among thieves. 
You don't need to steal. We have a society where you can get a job. You can make money, you know, in a legitimate mm-hmm. way. She doesn't know that. This is all just a matter of... <laughs> it's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. <laughs> she says, uh, we will announce our rebirth... Or, oh, wait, no. What is it she says? We will show them that nothing need belong to any one man. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about how we're going to go and steal a bunch of stuff. Tonight, and, and we restore the honor of thieves. So go dance between the shadows. Find what they hold most cherished. Yeah, I just don't really get her point here. And I just think that she sucks. When she said go dance between the shadows, I misread that at first. And I thought that they were starting a ritual of some kind. You know, go dance. And they would basically have a dance party, which <laughs> seemed like it would make sense because she was at a nightclub earlier. So I thought oh, maybe true. she's this prince of thief, this uh, thief lord, but also a dancer of some kind. That I, was I just I don't get how she she can have she can hold what she does in such high regard. She thinks so so proudly about what it is that she's doing. <laughs> Well, a couple things. Number one, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is ridiculous. I don't know how she can, not only how she can think of this as such an honorable, important thing, but how she gets everybody else to go along with her. But then you see this speech she gives. She's a great speech giver. Because as I was going along and reading this, I thought, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Took me a second to kind of get my head straight again. Well, we have more than Montauk. What's that? You should avoid political rallies and things like that. Yeah, I'm I'm easily... So part of why I can enjoy comics so much is because I'm very easily taken into things. I have a very active imagination. Yeah. So that also means that comes at a cost. I'm very easily swayed one way or the other. Which way is next the week on Gil Reed? Next week on Gil Reed's comics, Gil joins a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Pyramid scheme. Adam, I got these great Amway knives to be interested in. <laughs> we have more montage. And this is part of part of the comedy that I think is working really well in these issues. We have another montage of villains finding certain things are missing. Ghost Rider lost his motorcycle. Uh, Adam, did you recognize the guy kind of shielding his eyes, yelling, Bobby, where did you hide at this time? Yeah, that's... Is that Cyclops? Yes. X-Men? And if he's not wearing the things on his eyes, the lasers are just shooting out all the time, right? Right. So he thinks yeah, his friend Bobby one. stole it. <laughs> Bobby is Iceman, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Doctor Strange lost some kind of an amulet. My favorite one, Frank Castle, Punisher, finds Wait, all Wait, isn't that his... amulet super important? Oh, it's very... Well, if it's the same amulet from the movie, that's really important. Yeah. It controls time. Frank Castle is my favorite one. He finds all of his weapons are missing. And he says to himself, oh, somebody's going to pay. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to just have like a, a cache of weapons? Just a whole room full of weapons. What's, what's more badass? Frank Castle, he opens up a room full of guns, weapons. Or John Wick, where when he wants to get his weapons, he needs a sledgehammer to bust open concrete at the bottom of his house and and dig them up. That's pretty cool too, but I would rather just have a room like a room I could go into to meditate 
just on all the weapons I have, you know, <laughs> like you just go down the stairs. It's like going to your wine cellar, but you open it up and there's just like guns and rocket launchers and grenades and stuff and swords. And you can just sit there and look at it all. That see that the, everything there that you're saying sounds awesome. Where you lose me though, is this, this concept of meditating. So you're, you would just sit in this room and just soak in the fact that you have all these killing machines around you. Yeah, well, it's like, okay, you. have you ever thought about how great it would be to just, like, lay on the, the floor and you just have puppies all around you, just, like, running around on top of you and playing with each other and stuff? Right. It would feel like that, but just guns. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You just bathe yourself in, in vengeance every day. Yeah. I mean, I don't own any weapons, but I just imagine that it, that would feel good. All right. So this is a good team up here. You have an unhealthy obsession with weaponry, and I will just, and I'll get just, I'll just get taken in by various schemes and cults. Exactly. Black Cat. Remember her? Felicia Hardy? Yeah. Yeah. She shows up because she Spider-Man's... has an interesting outfit. <laughs> uh, explain. Like, um, you know those those fluffier looking cats where they have a lot of fur kind of like hanging down from their arms, like almost like kind of covering their paws. Yeah. It's almost like if it's almost like bell bottoms, except it's fur. Yeah. That's yeah, what it, she has. And it's it looks interesting. Weird. It matches her hair, which yeah. I'm looking at it now. She has, it looks like her hair is more volume than her entire body. Yeah. And this image, it definitely looks that way. Yeah. Actually in a lot of them, it does. <laughs> Right, so she's black cat is modeled actually after a very fluffy white cat. Oh, that's interesting, because her name's Black Cat. Like. Yeah. Well, Spider Man swinging around, suddenly his web shooters are gone. That's how we ended up in a free fall, where we saw him at the beginning of the issue. So it all ties back. Somehow they stole his web shooters right out from under him, and who saves him from falling? Black Cat, she grabs him. Now, let me give you some background on Black Cat, Adam. You'll find some of this very interesting. She is the daughter of Walter Hardy, a world-renowned cat burglar. Which, by the way, I don't know how you can be a cat burglar. If you're a good cat burglar, (laughs) nobody should know who you are. So by definition, you shouldn't be world-renowned. Yeah. But Walter's different. Also, even if everyone does know you in some regard, even if they don't know your true identity, you shouldn't be world-renowned. You should be infamous. Yeah, that's true. Why why don't people care more about all the crime and evil? (laughs) Yeah. I got to tell you, this Marvel Universe needs uh, a culling. You know what would be cool? There should be a a villainous-type character whose motive is to get people to wake up to all the evil around them. Yeah. You know, and to actually stand up against it rather than, like, follow along with it as, like, oh, yeah, we have villains and, and they're just, like, funny guys. Yeah, and Peter is like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And then I, if, if you were the villain, you'd say to Peter, like, bro, you are living with a supervillain. The guy was literally – so you might not remember, Adam. You actually had an assignment to uh, do another judgment, the judgment of Fred Myers, Boomerang. But I, you had so much to do already with Peanuts and Spider-Verse, so I figured I'd let you <laughs> off the hook. And I did a little research, not a whole lot, 
because I was curious, has Fred ever killed anybody? Because if he has, then Peter living with him and giving him these second chances is pretty unforgivable. So I can't tell you for sure that Fred's ever murdered anyone, but I can tell you that he has worked as a hired assassin. He failed at the job because his first job was to kill Luke Cage. He was unsuccessful. But the fact is, he was clearly willing to kill. Anyway, all that to say, this villain that you're talking about, this hypothetical villain, he's got a great point. People need to wake up and stop treating villains like it's no big deal. Yeah. This villain, you know what this villain could do? What? This villain could try to put superheroes in situations where they have to kill villains, where they have no choice somehow. Oh, yeah. It could, you know, they're holding a hostage, they're about to kill this innocent person, and you only have enough time to, you have to kill the villain. Yeah. Wow. That's we got to start, Adam, Gil Reads Comics presents Gil Writes Comics. <laughs> we got to start writing some comics. Count me in. Well, back to... Uh, we got lost in that for a bit there. Now I'm just thinking about how great this other story could be. But we don't want to distract from this great story we're currently reading. I was telling you about Black Cat, right? That's Daughter right. of world-renowned cat burglar Walter Hardy. After a traumatic experience as a college freshman, Felicia decided to train herself in various fighting styles and acrobatics. And she took on the mantle of Black Cat to follow in her father's footsteps. In this, she's had an on-again, off-again romance or alliance with Peter Parker. But it turned out she only really liked him for his Spider-Man half. She had no interest in his Peter Parker civilian life. So the romance never worked. Mm. She also, and I'm curious to get your um, scientific you know, medical opinion on how this would work in real life. She has a subconscious ability to affect probability fields and create <laughs> bad luck for her enemies. Interesting. That's just a totally separate thing from being a cat. Well, I get it, it fits the moniker because black cats typically create oh, bad luck. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Mm hmm. <laughs> my medical opinion on yeah. how she does this <laughs> right um well all right here's one possibility she doesn't actually have that ability but if everyone believes that they that she does then they actually will feel less confident in her presence because they'll think that they're going to be the subject of bad luck and if you're less confident things won't work out as well for you so she actually, out of thin air, created a superpower, which is she makes everyone around her have lower confidence than they otherwise would. That makes sense. See, you should be talking to these Marvel Universe scientists. Peter Parker, he's probably talking to Black Cat, and he filled her head with these crazy ideas. She's telling him how, you know, things just seem to work out for me. And he goes, ah, oh, yes, this must be a subconscious effect on probability fields. Like, no, she's affecting people's confidence it's not supernatural exactly did you make this connection by the way I, I was proud of myself here black cat she's a thief we're talking about the guild of thieves i figured there's got to be a connection between the two of them 
Yeah, I thought I thought that this was somehow related. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. I just wanted to make sure. And, and we were right. And they are related. It will turn out right. Correct. That's the end of issue eight. And then we go to issue nine. And just, just to put a cap on issue eight, uh, since we went off on a tangent a little bit, just to be clear, basically Spider-Man is free-falling because he, he had no web shooter since it was stolen. And she went and rescued him. But she looked pissed off, too. She, like, rips off part of his mask and says, you and I have some unfinished business. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I was thinking yeah. to myself when I read that, I haven't read a lot of Black Cat stories, and I know some of the history, but that move definitely didn't endear me to her very much. She rescued Peter and then slashed his face. Yeah. But as we read more, we can discuss whether or not he deserved that. True. Now we get into issue nine. So Black Cat just slashed Spider-Man's face, and we quickly find out why. Turns out that back a few issues ago, when Peter and Spidey were split into two personas, the Spider-Man half went to Black Cat and tried to, you know... Seduce her? Seduce her, yeah. He said... Hey, baby, I'm all spider now. (laughs) Which makes sense that he would do that. And she was offended by it. And I have to think that you were as amused by this part as I was when Spider-Man or Peter Parker tried to explain what happened. Felicia, I can explain. I bet. Did Dr. Octopus take over your body again? Or maybe it was a clone for the millionth time. No, no, nothing like that. An isotopic genome accelerator split me into two separate entities, each lacking critical attributes of the other half, meaning one side didn't have a sense of impulse control or personal responsibility. And then she kind of cut him off right there. Uh, I thought that was He's right, though. Yeah. Yeah. At least he's talking to um, someone who who would actually believe this sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just, I love, whenever you take these ridiculous, over-the-top things happening... And then you try and bring them into everyday conversation. That humor works on me every time. Yeah. But I will say, I thought it was called the isotope genome accelerator. Here he calls it isotopic. Well, it would be one thing if you say the isotope genome accelerator. But here he's saying it's an isotopic genome accelerator. I got you. So he's referring to it more as a type of genome accelerator rather than as the specific genome accelerator. Gotcha. Well, Spider-Man goes on about how all these things keep getting stolen. If only we knew who was doing all this. (laughs) She knows. And so he hops on her back because he doesn't have his web shooter. So he's holding on to her while they swing away. Yeah, a lot of close physical contact between them in this issue. Yeah. I I was worried reading this not because oh spider-man's teaming up with a bad guy i'm worried because things seem to be going so well with mj and now he's palling around with his ex exactly speaking of exes carly cooper she shows yeah, up. i didn't i'd never seen her or heard of her before she was a cop and actually she played an important role years ago 
when Peter Parker and Dr. Octavius switched bodies. So Peter found himself in the old, decrepit body of Dr. Octavius. He was lying on the ground dying. Carly Cooper was nearby, and in his dying words, he told her that he was actually Peter Parker. So she walked around, seeing Peter Parker, seeing Spider-Man around, but thinking, in reality, Peter Parker may have died. And she has enough experience with superheroics and crazy villains that she actually thought there might be something to it, and she investigated. So Mm -hmm. she's a good cop, and she's got a history with Peter Parker. In fact, like I said before, they did date at one point. So... What did you think of this scene overall? It was, I said at the beginning of this, I wanted the action to slow down a bit. And we actually got three full pages here of MJ and Carly Cooper just talking. Yeah, I thought it was good. And it seemed like a pretty natural kind of conversation where they're both acknowledging it's awkward because they're, they both used to date Peter Parker and also Carly Cooper figures out pretty quickly that, their MJ is back together with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of reflect together over how difficult it can be to date a superhero. Right. Uh, but I also, f- I was worried that she was somehow manipulating MJ. Yeah. I wasn't sure um, if she was just being genuinely nice or if she planned, cause, cause she just randomly bumped into MJ when they were at the smorgasburg. Right. 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 Um, and how do we know that that was truly random? And how do we know she's not up to something? And in the end of this conversation, she invites MJ to a support group for people who are close to superheroes, um, which sounds like it could be a very uh, dangerous thing to do. I was wondering if you read it the same way I did, but I am so skeptical of this support group. Yeah. And and I'll get into there were a few things that happened, or at least one thing that happens later in the issue, which turned up my skepticism. I bet we're thinking of the same thing. I have a feeling. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah. I I do think in real life, if you had superheroes running around, this type of support group probably would end up existing. Because that's got to be a tough situation to be in, where you know the secret identity of this person. You can literally discuss it with no one. Yeah. So there is a need for this. Yeah, and I bet you there. I'm sure there already exist support groups for, um, like the spouses of cops, soldiers, and cops, and things like that. Yeah. So this is just extending that idea. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I'll just add about this scene. Uh, I, I liked it because it slowed down the action a bit, gave us some character emotional development. Um, but specifically, we haven't seen a lot of MJ on her own. Uh, without Peter or Spider-Man around. So this this gave us a little bit, these next couple of issues, let us see a little bit more of what she's dealing with right now. We got a taste of it last issue. We know that she's looking for a job, and now we're getting a little bit more, and I hope they continue on that path. From there, we get a flashback to Felicia Hardy as a child, Black Cat, with her dad. Remember, we mentioned before that her dad was a world-renowned cat burglar. We also learned in the previous issue with that David guy uh, who was trying to uh, work with Odessa, the head of the Thieves Guild, 
he made reference to some fountain where you have to put in 10% of, I guess, whatever you steal. And in this flashback, Felicia's with her dad, and we see her dad put money into that fountain, you know, sort of paying tribute. So it turns out her dad was in this thieves' guilt. And not only that, when we get back to the present, we find out black cat Felicia Hardy is also currently in that thieves' guild, which means that she can help Peter get their stuff back for all the heroes. Yeah. So, so we were right. There's a connection here between Felicia and thieves' guild. So... We also get a little window into what this guild is capable of and what they're willing to do. Because stealing a bunch of stuff, that's not great. But it's not as bad as some other crimes. But she mentions uh, Black Cat kind of cryptically says they'll, they also collect on debts. And we mm-hmm. see an image of a lot of people lying, presumably dead. Right, which is why it makes no sense to me that Odessa tells off this this business opportunity guy saying all the villages that you're going to ruin and and the people you're going to harm with your business schemes uh, you know at least we're honorable thieves it's like no you're not you kill people <laughs> yeah you, you kill people because they don't give you 10% of what they steal I, I think in her head this is this is the problem with some of these villains they think morality equals rules. If you have a rule, oh, that's immoral. As long as I follow that rule, everything's good. Yeah, you know, I'm reading a book about this right now called The Righteous Mind uh, about how ethics may have evolved in humans mm-hmm. and um, how it develops in people as they as they grow up from yeah. being kids. And so they've done all these studies, and I think even kids as young as, like, eight or maybe even younger um, can distinguish, can kind of distinguish between morals that come from rules and conventions versus some like higher level morals. For example, uh, if, if uh, they did one study on kids and they asked them, okay, if you're like required to wear a certain uniform to school, but you end up just wearing regular clothes instead, is that wrong? And like all this, all the mm-hmm. little kids say yes because it's breaking the rules, right? But then, then you ask them, okay, but well, uh, what if your teacher said it was okay, even though it's the schools, it's still against the school's right. rules? Then all the kids say, oh, well, then in that case, it's okay. But then you ask them instead, all right, what if you um, like steal a pen from one of your friends or something like that? And again, all the students say no, that's wrong because it's stealing. Then you say, what if the teacher said it was okay? And still, all the kids said, no, it's still wrong. Oh, wow. So it's not even just about rules. There's something else. And for some reason, all the villains uh, seem to lack that. So I kind of yeah, agree with you. these kids your... are smarter than Odessa. Yeah. Because they can I... sense that this isn't just an arbitrary rule, don't steal. It's connected to a higher morality. Right. Odessa can't see that. Right. She thinks it's just... You just kind of build a set of rules, and then that's what you adopt for for whatever reason, just because it feels like it works for you. And then people who violate it are somehow wrong, and you have you're able to harm them somehow. Right. Well, what is Odessa and this thieves guild up to? We don't know the deeper story yet, but at a minimum, 
Felicia tells us, but now, now she's gone too far. She wants to send a message to the world. Pull off a heist so big, everyone has to take note. And Peter says, like stealing all our stuff. So this is all about sending a message, it sounds like. But what is the deeper purpose? What are they, what's the deal with this 10%? What do they do when they steal this stuff? There's clearly still some mystery, mystery around this. But anyway, Peter's back on Black Cat's back, and they swing away. She's going to take him to where his web shooters are currently being held and where a lot of the other heroes' stuff has been stowed away. In the meantime, MJ decides to take up Carly Cooper's invitation to that support group, the Lookups. Which, by the way, the name, did you get that name right away, what that means, the Lookups? No, no, I didn't understand why they called it that Yeah, I mean, at the- first until it was explained later. Right. The idea is that when you are involved with a hero, they're often flying up top, uh, flying up above you, or in Spider-Man's case, swinging around above you. So you look up and you hope to see them. That's where the name comes from, the lookups. So Carly told MJ that she would realize when she got to the support group that she wouldn't have to worry about keeping secrets or keeping your identity safe. And she kind of gave a vague, you'll know what I mean when you get there. And so I had a feeling there would be some magic or some tech involved, and we find out there's both. You've got Tony Stark technology, which essentially pixelates out everyone's face in the real world, so you can't see what you look you can't see what each other looks like. Mm-hmm. And there's some Doctor Strange magic that sort of will blank out some memories. So if you go into too much detail that could reveal who the superhero you know is, it'll turn into a vague recollection instead of any specific memories. So you've got ma- magic, you've got tech that allows the support group to work. Why do they need that blurring tech when they can all just wear those like funky masquerade mask things that they would use at like parties in the 20s? <laughs> so everybody puts on these masquerade masks go to a room with a cloud of like mystical opium basically (laughs) and just (laughs) that's my kind of party (laughs) that is a good point that's like that story everyone always tells about how we needed to write in space so nasa spent billions of dollars developing a pen that could write upside down oh yeah they're like in russia we just used a pencil (laughs) same idea tony stark develops real life pixelating technology and you're like what about a mask you know what? You know where that technology would be very useful? Where? At locker rooms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that way you wouldn't have to worry about somebody seeing anything. I wouldn't have been so uncomfortable showering at the JCC when I was a kid on the swim team. <laughs> yeah. yeah in, in my The way I thought about it was less about other people seeing me and just more that now I don't have to see other people. <laughs> I would, well, I would still use a towel. <laughs> oh, for sure. Just in case. Just in case. And this whole support group is being run by Jarvis. So, okay, here's a question. Yeah. Is he just this, the Spider-Man version of... Uh, Alfred? Alfred, yeah. He's the Iron Man version of Alfred. He is Tony Stark's butler, but he's mm-hmm. kind of upgraded to that 
uh, from that to working with the whole Avengers. And he helps them with more. And he also fought in World War II. He fought Nazis. So he's well-versed in combat. And I'm sure the timeline's been updated because if he fought in World War II, he'd probably be really old. But at least yeah, in his original say. telling. Maybe they gave him just a little bit of that Captain America serum. Yeah, yeah, just enough to keep him going. Or or some of the herbal stuff that, um, what's the name of the safari hunter? Uh, Craven. Craven. Craven drinks that herbal stuff that lets him live uh, age very slowly. So maybe uh, Jarvis is sipping some of that. Mm. You also might be confused if you have only watched the movies. Then to you, Jarvis is a voice that talks yeah. to Tony Stark. That's what I was going to say. So in the comics, that is also true. But that voice it was an artificial intelligence that Tony developed inspired by the real-life Jarvis. Hmm. So there's real-life Jarvis and there's the voice. Where, by the way, Jarvis is an acronym. It stands for just a rather very intelligent system. <laughs> we have a... Right. Uh, uh, what, what's that? I said all right. Yes. Uh, we have a few pages where we get to see the support group. We see examples of some of these pixelated people sharing their stories. One of them says, of course I get jealous sometimes. I mean, the guy can climb walls. Right. Okay. That's, yeah, not cool. Well, but remember, that mystical, uh, well, actually, does it matter if you reveal who the hero is? Everyone in the room knows Spider-Man exists. So that detail doesn't really tell yes, you Yes, but now, now you're revealing yourself to be someone who knows him on a personal level. But nobody knows who you are because your face is pixelated. Okay, but like you walk in and out of the building and someone could track you. Someone could put a microphone in there. Who invited this wet blanket to our lookups <laughs> meeting? Like you shouldn't even be able to reveal the the you shouldn't be even be allowed to say him or her in reference right. to the like hey these are important people who protect society true it's you know this is classified information the magic dust from Doctor Strange probably erased that memory all right yes yeah. Hey, you're you're, you're skeptical of this whole group. The truth is, yeah. though, I'm also skeptical. I really am uncomfortable with this whole support group. I see the need for it, and I I think it's great. I love the idea, but there is a specific line from Jarvis where he's trying to encourage MJ to open up. Basically, he's he's very strongly encouraging her to open up and keeps acting as though he doesn't know who the hero that she know that she's there about it like he's acting as though he doesn't know that mj is connected to spider-man right i just i don't know if i believe that at all yeah he also i found the exact line he when she's being hesitant about opening up and sharing her stories he says I understand learning to trust others with these secrets we hold so close. Even with all these safeguards can be difficult. So he's acting as though the difficult part is opening up about your secrets. That was what he emphasized. Right. To me, what you should be emphasizing is the difficulty in opening up yourself emotionally. That's what's hard about being in a support right. group. Because the whole point of this is that none of the secrets are supposed to get revealed. 
Right. So his emphasis on getting comfortable sharing your secrets, I thought was a little bit bizarre. It's kind of in the gray area, but I read it going into this being skeptical. I read that as a red flag that somehow this is about collecting secret information about supervillains or about superheroes. Maybe that's not actually Jarvis. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. So you have the same skepticism about this that I do. Putting that aside, they all open up, uh, and it seemed like a great group. So if it turns out not to be a sham, hey, I'm very in favor of it, but we'll see. We've got our eye on it. Way uptown, Felicia and Spider-Man arrive at the secret hold. They jump through some lasers, sneak by some guards in the Thieves' Guild garb, and they get in, and they find all this missing stuff. Fantastic Four's car, Thor's hammer, a bunch of costumes, Captain America's shield. And Spider-Man starts talking about, let's bring all this stuff back to the heroes. And then Felicia says, well, half the stuff, because she thinks of this as a heist. And hey, we both get to take half. You can give your stuff back if you want, but I never agreed to that. What an idiot. Who, Spider-Man or Felicia? Felicia. Yeah. She probably would end up with more of a benefit just returning everything to the heroes. Like, the heroes are probably pretty successful people. It's probably beneficial to be on their good side. For sure. We know Tony Stark is super rich. Yeah. I think she just she just doesn't want to be, like, good. So I agree with you. I, I Black Cat in this scene is it, it, an idiot. Yeah, she's just latched onto the idea of being like bad or having an edge. Like I think right, but she, she cares more. She cares more just about surprising Peter by being like, "Well, that the other half is mine." Seems like she cares more about saying about just giving that impression than she actually does about taking this stuff. Yeah, it, it, Peter even says to her, is this a joke? Because that's how almost silly it comes off. It's like, are you yeah. kidding me right now? And they Meanwhile, have a... he's like wearing some kind of like samurai helmet or something that belonged to some other hero. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he's just that's... trying on other people's gear. <laughs> that's, that's great. He does get his web shooters back, so that's good. But yeah. while they waste their time bickering, Odessa shows up welcomes Felicia home and they're surrounded by members of the thieves guilt to be continued. Bum, 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 bum. Well, that's not what I was doing. (laughs) I was just making the sound that, that indicates doom. Bum, bum, bum. Now we move on to issue 10 of amazing Spider-Man. The issue starts with MJ in the support group, the lookups, and she decides she's going to open up and tell her story. She talks about the difficulties of being in love with a superhero. Now, the way the issue is structured, it cuts back and forth between MJ in the support group and Peter with Black Cat. But I figured, Adam, we can just talk about MJ, the support group. Let's discuss that 
and then we'll just shift focus and just talk through the Spider-Man storyline. Sounds good. One thing MJ is going through, which I don't think we had a window into earlier, is she feels sort of left out of the superhero world. And she asks herself, wouldn't Peter Parker be better off if he were with somebody that was also a superhero and he wouldn't have to worry about this other person? He wouldn't have to worry about her. He would know she could protect herself. I mean, essentially, without knowing it, she's talking about Black Cat. Yeah. What do you think of that? Is that reasonable if this is something she'd be going through? You think that would, that would be a real concern? Mm. Yeah. I don't think everyone would feel that way, but I think it's conceivable that some people would. Uh, I think there, there could be... If I were her and I was saying the things she was saying, one part of it that I wouldn't be saying would be a feeling of, like, damn, I wish I had superpowers. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, there might be more of an element uh, element of jealousy than she's letting on. Yeah. At least that may be more revealing more about me than her when I'm saying this. <laughs> You're saying you wish you had superpowers. Yeah, but it seems like she kind of feels, uh, like, unmatched with him or, like, not the right fit. Because yeah. she lacks superpowers, and it does seem to an extent that like she would prefer to be more like him, right? You know, but the interesting thing is to to what you were just saying. She doesn't say that though. She doesn't say, "I wish I had superpowers" or "I wish I was more like him." It's she's putting it all in terms of what would be best for Spider Man. What yeah, would be which, best for Peter Parker? Yeah, and I think to an extent she means it. Yeah. You know, it's never completely cut and dry. But I think when people frame things in terms of what they think would be best for another person. Yeah. I think they often believe themselves. And I think there's elements of truth. But I also think they're often finding a justification for something they want. That's interesting. So we'll see how it develops. But that's kind of the big takeaway from her time at the support group is... She feels kind of left out of that world, but she doesn't say it in a selfish way. She coaches it all in, in like we said, it's for Peter. She wishes, she thinks maybe Peter would be better off with somebody super powered. He doesn't have to worry about, but maybe there's something inside where she is a little jealous, or maybe she just feels like things would be better for her if she could also be in that world. And if that's the case, it's not coming out here. But maybe it will become more explicit over time. Yeah. But I do think there's, in a genuine way, she does do a good job explaining what she admires about him. So mm-hmm. she says, uh, like, in the middle of all of this, he's actually, you know, really funny. He makes me laugh, even though he's he constantly carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always just always manages to lift himself free and... Uh, you realize that as silly and as much of a, a joker as Spider-Man is, uh, as I'm reading that, I got kind of that the sense that you allude to sometimes of inspiration that superheroes give you. Right. Right? Like, I think I haven't read enough of the comics to really get that feeling before. But as I was reading it, I was thinking, I want to be like Spider-Man. Yeah, you're getting a little taste of of what we comic book readers 
have been saying for a long time. And you'll get more of that as you read more of this. But especially with Spider-Man, because he is so silly on the surface. But the silliness has always been a defense mechanism, so he doesn't get nervous while he's fighting. And because it keeps his enemies off guard. But he is he's a hero, right? And she lays it out here. Yeah. At the end of the support group session, Jarvis has one-on-one with MJ. And he says to her, I'm a butler, you know. And he has this kind of grin on his face when he says that. And I know it's him being kind of cheeky. You know, like, you know, I'm a butler, right? So I'm not a superhero. I'm not anything special. But I still work with the Avengers. That's what he's saying, and that's why he's smiling. But reading this with the skepticism that I've had, that there's something going on with the support group, something nefarious, I saw that grin as, like, I've ensnared you in my trap. (laughs) Yeah, it did look a little suspicious to me. Yeah, eyebrows raised. Smirking. Smirk. But he tells her, you don't need to be, oh, I should do it in, are you on the page where he's got that grin? Yeah. Why don't, for the first time ever, outside Mm. of the Halloween special, for the first time ever, Adam, why don't you read this dialogue in your best Jarvis voice? Start from in the, uh, the, the panel all the way to the right. You don't need to be doused in gamma rays. Oi, you don't need to be doused it. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's British, I assume, right? He is British. Because he's a butler? Yeah. Okay. Mm. The, I got to make sure I'm not doing what I imagine. I'm I'm very tempted to just talk like Alfred. Wasn't well, Alfred also Michael British? Michael Caine? Yeah. All right, you could be Alfred. Well, see, now that now, but the problem with that is everyone knows what Michael Caine sounds like, so we just set a standard, and then people will notice that I don't do a very good Michael Caine impression. So I'm just going to do my own interpretation of Jarvis. Be yourself if you were Jarvis. Okay. You don't need to be doused in gamma rays or encased in armor to be a good partner. You already are. You mentioned his sense of humor, but has it ever occurred to you that the reason he can be upbeat in the face of so much adversity is because he has you, a woman of impeccable character and strength. Whoever that lucky hero is, young lady... I assure you, you are indispensable. And if you read between the lines, is he really saying she is dispensable because he's going to do something bad here and kill her? I don't think so. No, I don't think he kills her. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's heartwarming. And you can see from the look on MJ's face that she believes it. And I think that this conversation went a long way and making her feel better about all this. Yeah, even though now he has seen her with her face unblurred, and he's probably seen every other member of the group's face unblurred. Yeah. And I think he probably does know who she is. Right. Whoever that lucky hero is, you know, whoever yeah. that might be, he's he knows who coy. she's talking about. Yeah, coy. Yeah. That's the word I would use. It's coy. Which could be fine. But I, I don't know. I really think there's something bad going on here. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning, Adam. And let's look at what Spider-Man was up to in the middle of all this. We last left him surrounded by members of the Thieves Guild. Odessa was there. And Spidey and Felicia were in a bad spot. They have some banter, some back and forth, where 
Felicia tells Odessa that she's gone too far. She says, this goes too far. Some of this stuff is fair game. You want to steal Night Thrasher's skateboard? Fine. But some of these items are needed to protect people, to save lives. We don't steal that. That's not who we are. That's not who I am. Let me tell you something. This is, now, this is, that was Felicia. Now, this is me talking. You could have fooled me last <laughs> issue when you were yeah. going to keep half of all this stuff. All of a sudden, she's high and mighty. Yeah, I, I bet. I have a feeling she didn't actually plan to keep half of it. I think she just likes to play the bad girl. Oh, okay, okay. She, that was her. She doesn't know how to communicate in a healthy way. She's like Batman, right? Batman is, if you're, if you're following Batman right now, you know he's going through some hard times. He doesn't talk about it, though. He just he beats people up. Felicia wants to flirt, and she can't do it any other way than by talking thievery. Yeah, exactly. Felicia and Spider-Man, they're surrounded. Felicia gave her retort to Odessa, telling her she's gone too far. And then Odessa orders her thieves to take her and kill him. So they have to fight their way out. And a battle ensues. So this battle, by the way, while it's occurring, while Spider-Man is fighting all these foes, MJ's monologue about how much of a hero Spider-Man is, is written over that scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, this keeps coming up, but I've said it so many times that, for me, the best way to communicate a fight scene in a comic is have something else going on at the same time. Have dialogue going on over that fight scene so it's not simply people hitting each other. They do that here. Spider-Man's fighting people, but over that, overlaid above that, is MJ's monologue about how much of a hero he is. Yeah, and that's the part that I found kind of inspirational. Right, right. And there was also, I I do want to bring this up too, because I keep mentioning how the comedy um, has worked really well in this specific arc. There's one part here that made me laugh, where Mm. uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. Black Cat and Odessa are going back and forth, and Spider-Man interrupts them. Let's see if you're thinking of the (laughs) same line I am. What does he say? Yeah, it's... uh... Oh, he's like, I'm pretty sure you didn't pronounce the hyphen in my name. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to interrupt. But see, I can tell you're saying it without the hyphen. And that just, it bothers me because they keep talking about Spider-Man as if he's not there. And then they keep talking and they keep ignoring him. And in the background, you see him saying, it's just like the tiniest pause in between the words. as right before uh, Odessa commands them to kill him. And the funny thing is, if you look, that made me look back and notice that when Odessa said his name, there was no hyphen there. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, how would how do you how do you? Okay, let me just say this hero's name the way I normally say it. Okay. Okay, and you tell me if there's a hyphen. Right. Because I don't. I think I maybe have been leaving it out. All right. Yeah. Spider Man. How do you? It's more. It's more like this. Spider. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Though I will say that every single time I write a synopsis for Gil Reed's comics, I Google if there's a hyphen in Spider-Man. I always forget which is the right way. Because Mm. when you hashtag it, no hyphen. 
and I hashtag it a lot, yeah. so I forget. Now, we've been pointing out the hypocrisy of these villains over and over, and we get a little bit of that here because Odessa, in the middle of all this fighting, she says, it doesn't have to be this way. Felicia, you know the guild abhors violence. <laughs> and then one of the guys punching Spider-Man, Spider-Man says, Ugh, really? Tell this guy. He's a terrible abhorrer. Yeah, I thought that was funny. It was a good quip. <laughs> it was great. Um, but you say you abhor violence, but you just ordered to kill Spider-Man, and we saw in a flashback earlier that you kill people to collect your debts. So... Well, that's more... She's just basically making... I don't even think she buys that statement. That's more of like a threat where you're like, don't make me do this, or, you know, I don't want to do this. This will hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. That kind of thing. Like what our dad used to say. (laughs) 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 Well, she calls out... Odessa calls out Felicia for the fact that she was going to return all these stolen belongings to the heroes. You know, essentially saying your father would be so disappointed in you. Felicia corrects her and says, half of it. You know, again, going back to that old line, I wasn't going to return all of it, only half of it. Odessa Mm -hmm. calls her out on that, which actually makes me think you're right, that she was saying she was going to steal half, but in reality... She probably probably was going to return all of it, especially after making the point, like, this stuff saves people's lives. I don't want to hurt yeah. anybody. But then Odessa warns her, you know, if you don't want to, you're so unwilling to part with this treasure, perhaps you'd like to go with it instead. Then she says, open the vault, and a lot of her minions start saying these nonsense words that aren't, aren't even written in English letters, casting yeah, it like almost- a spell. It almost looks like it's written in ancient Greek or something. Mm-hmm. But when I went and looked up ancient Greek, not every character there corresponded. So, so I'm I don't guessing know it's a made-up language. Yeah, it could be just a, a compilation of random characters. Right, it could be using some Greek characters and then some other ones. But this gives us... You know, we were talking back when we read issue 8. What is the point of stealing all this? And she talks about it like it's this honorable thing to steal, you yeah. know, Odessa. And now we get a little window into what's going on here. She opens it's sort up of like a, a vault. religion for them. It seems like some kind of a religion or a cult because she opens up, you know, we don't get a good look at it, but maybe a magic gateway of some kind that starts sucking in all their belongings. Yeah, it looks like some kind of portal. She calls it the vault. So I, I think we'll learn more about this, that there's some kind of cult or religion that worships the vault. Yeah, and, and they're like making sacrifices to it. to it or something. But at least, yeah, the sacrifices that, at least these sacrifices aren't like killing animals or something. It seems like it's sacrificing inanimate objects that belong to other people. Yeah. Spider-Man tries to see if there's some object here that he can use to help them. Because they're going to get sucked into that portal if they don't get out of there. Picks up an amulet from Doctor Strange, and he says, Hello, hello, anybody in there? Abracadabra. Hmm. Doesn't do anything. And he has an idea, and he thwips his web off-panel. We don't know what he's doing. Cut to the Avengers in their mansion, 
all talking about what are we going to do about this? You know, what happened to all of our stuff? Miss Marvel raises her hand. She has an idea. You know, everybody has all these magic items. They talk about how they're trying to search for strange energy signals so they can see what happened to all their stuff. Miss Marvel, her bag got stolen, had an iPhone in it. So she used the Find My iPhone app. And so it turns out that when Spider-Man thwipped off panel, he was hitting the iPhone, activating it. And Miss Marvel was able to locate where they are using the Find My iPhone app. <laughs> More good humor here. You know, all these heroes always trying to be so fancy. Sometimes they forget about how simple and easy things can be. It's like in Harry Potter, they have like they don't use technology, even in cases where it would be useful. Like, I'd like to see Voldemort stop a bullet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Were there any guns in Harry Potter? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> huh. Oh, did wait, did, does Harry Potter take place in modern times in the movies? Yeah. Yeah. There's cars. That's true, yeah. In my head, it takes place in, like, the 30s. Uh, probably you're, you're probably thinking of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Oh, that's right. That's right. But, yeah, in Harry Potter, they have these newspapers with pretty low-quality moving images. Yeah. They're like, yo, Hermione, look at this, iPhone. <laughs> full movies on here, video, audio, color. Wow, what's that? I just told you, it's an iPhone. Meanwhile, they're like the wizards. Their definition of fun is e- is eating puke flavored beans. Yeah. Have you tried these gimbal gourts? They're great. <laughs> Have you ever tried a Reese's peanut butter cup? Yeah. Like, wow, this is way better than butter beer. Butter beer sounds like it would be great, though. We should. Oh, here we go. Gil reads comics. Adam special episode. We're going to Harry Potter, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and we'll record the whole thing. Try Butterbeer. I've, I've always been curious to do that. Yeah, that's going to be our summer trip in uh, in <laughs> seven months. Well, right. once once these thieves realize that their location has been determined, and the Avengers are on their way, they vanish. Odessa even says, Thieves Guild, vanish. <laughs> and it looks like we see more magic and they all disappear. So it's just Spidey and Felicia left behind. Spider-Man is kind of overconfident at this point because it seemed really easy to defeat them. He says, wow, Felicia, hate to tell you, but I think you really overhyped these guys. Felicia says, no, they got what they wanted. So it seems like this was all actually according to plan. I hate when villains do that. It's like in the Dark Knight when the Joker gets captured. And you're like, nice, they got him. Turns out he wanted to get captured. He wanted to be in the police headquarters. They do this. These villains, they always do this. (laughs) Yeah. But what do you think they're doing in this case? I don't know. What I think is maybe there was one specific item. So they wanted all that stuff. They did. No, no. Actually, you know what? I was about to theorize. I was wrong. Whatever I was about to say. They wanted to send a message. They wanted this to be a public display. So the fact that all the Avengers are on their way tells Odessa, hey, all the heroes know about us. That's what I wanted. They got the message out. Hmm. What do you think? I can see that because she she seems very concerned with image mm-hmm. and with the status of the thieves guild right so she, she maybe her goal is to make an impression 
Yeah, initially what I was going to say is they were after a specific object. They wanted something. But I do I do think it is more about it's PR, you know, public relations. For She's got to rebrand the Thieves Guild. They've been gone for too long. <laughs> and she can see it's working because the very next scene is a couple of uh, thieves, nobody important, two people we don't really know. They're, they're clearly coming back from a heist, but they have to make a pit stop. They stop at the fountain, toss some money in there. You know, one of them says, uh, what are you, superstitious? The cops are right behind us. This thing is a prank. The other guy assures him, nah, ain't you seen the news? The Thieves Guild is legit. And if they could take all that from the Avengers, the X-Men, imagine what they could do to us. So people are starting to get the message. They're putting their tribute, their 10%. Into that fountain. And Odessa yeah. is watching them from afar. And she smiles. She looks pleased. Further evidence that it was the message that was important to her. Well, all the heroes show up after an explosion. So Felicia and Peter were left behind after the Thieves Guild disappeared. There's an explosion. And uh, it unfortunately... Uh, tosses them around and Spider-Man lands on top of Black Cat right when the Avengers show up. So he has to assure them, well, Felicia assures them, this isn't what it looks like. And Peter says, and neither is this. <laughs> in ref- So Felicia saying, this isn't what it looks like in that I didn't steal this stuff. I had nothing to do with the Thieves Guild. And Peter is saying, I'm not doing any funny business with the Black Cat. We're not back in a relationship. Not that any of them care, probably. No. And we also know that they they definitely don't care because we know that Spider-Man is not on great terms with all these heroes at the moment. I don't exactly know all the details of that. They weren't getting along back in Amazing Spider-Man issue one that we read a few months back. Uh, here, Peter Parker does make reference to the public support that Kingpin has given Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what's tarnished his image. From there, we get what I thought was a pretty touching scene between Spider-Man and Felicia. Because one thing that happens a lot in the Marvel Universe is you'll have these big sweeping events and things that happen which affect Sometimes the whole world population, and we sort of gloss over it. Specifically, what I'm talking about here is a while ago, Spider-Man revealed his identity to the world. People knew he was Peter Parker, and that became a problem. So with the help of Doctor Strange, they used magic to erase everyone's memory of who Spider-Man is. Which, on the face of it, is an uncomfortable thing. You're messing with the minds of billions of people. Hey, Adam, if this were in the real world, morality-wise, where would this lie with you? Global memory wipe. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this this world is so different from ours that they might actually be able to make the calculation and somehow justify that they need to do that. God, you see, you'd be worried. They've taken yeah. it up. It seems like they have an implicit agreement with the public, which is, uh, as superheroes, we're trying to do what's in all of your guys' best interest, and everyone 
in general seems to support the idea of of heroes having more authority than we would give the average person mm-hmm. which makes but sense they never explicitly yeah. consented i guess true they never explicitly consented that's true but in this world the threats are so much bigger than they are in our world on a daily basis you have you know potential genocides apocalypses so heroes need to take extreme measures Sometimes right. that means... Essentially, they're in a constant state of war. Right. Exactly. So it's martial law all the time. You have yeah. to take extreme measures, sometimes even including a global lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we see the human impact of that. What does it mean when you take away everyone's memory of who Spider-Man is? Felicia was in love with Spider-Man at one point. They... We're in a relationship, and she doesn't remember who he is or what he looks like. And that has broken her up inside, which makes sense. And you wonder, what is Pete going to do here? And he says, Felicia, hey, stands up, takes his mask off, and says, my name's Pete. He reveals his identity identity to her. And if you (sighs) thought maybe she wasn't being genuine, she cries. So it was real. And they hug. Was this a touching moment for you? No. <laughs> what, what? Why? He shouldn't reveal his identity to anyone. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a hard line. And, and he's in a relationship. This is his ex. He, this, is, this, this is too messy. I'm on, see, you know, you were saying off, off mic earlier. Adam was saying that some difficulty we run into sometimes when we record is that we agree too much. But uh, I disagree with you on this one. I mean, she, she, I'm trying to play devil's advocate, but I guess you're right. You really shouldn't have revealed his identity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But nonetheless, it's like a life or death issue. It is a life or death issue. I mean, that's why they put MJ in danger even by saying this. That's true. The more people who know that he's Peter Parker, that's the more more people that could potentially put MJ in their crosshairs. Yeah. This is you know what? Here's what I would have done if I were Peter. Because I do like that he reveals himself to Felicia. I, I I like it in one sense because it really you can tell this was big for her. This is really gonna help her in a way because this is a big part of her life that he took away. But he should have put some rules on it. Should have said, Felicia, I will tell you who I am, but I need you to give me your best behavior for six months. No thievery. You're going to be a good guy from now on. <laughs> and then if that, if you do that for six months, I'll tell you who I am. Then would you be okay with it, Adam? Maybe. All right. You're, hard to ple- you're a hard man to please. You stick to that's your true. guns. You're, you stick to your principles. Yeah, that's why I'd make a great hero. Great anti-hero. While you're downstairs meditating, surrounded by assault rifles. (laughs) A man can dream. (laughs) Spider-Man comes home. And we have called out Peter Parker a few times in this run for being not open enough with MJ. When he got split into two, you know, between Spider-Man and Peter Parker, didn't tell MJ about it. We thought that was pretty uncool. So I was impressed when he went home, and the first thing he did is he told MJ, 
all about Black Cat. He told him, told her how they teamed up, and he told MJ that he revealed his identity to her. He told her nothing romantic, but she is a friend, and I, I did this. MJ told him she's not jealous. I believe her. Yeah. I think that because... the support group helped her to be able to receive yeah. this news better. Right, and I think it's possible that that's the extent of the support group's role in the story. It could turn out that there's nothing sinister there, but that it was a device used to help MJ come to the realization that she is actually important in helping Peter with his the heroic component of his life. She's not like a drag. She right. provides him with the emotional support he needs to go and do the crazy things that he does. <laughs> She's not a drag. Yeah, so she knows that she, in her words, she, uh, she knows she's indispensable. Right. That could be it. I'd be surprised if we don't see the group again. But even if we don't, it did serve a purpose here. And I like what they accomplished with it. Gave us a little bit more development for MJ. And what's interesting here is, we mentioned this before, but I've been waiting for MJ and Peter, for something to go wrong in their relationship, it still feels too good to be true after all these years that they're making it work. But it feels like they keep throwing everything that can go wrong at them, and they persevere. They've thrown the crazy superheroics with the Spider-Man-Peter split. And if anything, that only made them stronger because it told MJ what she loves about Peter so much. She needs him to be both Peter and Spider-Man. So if anything, that one strengthened their relationship. Now this issue throws not one, but two exes into the mix. Cooper and Felicia. And they still persevere. So maybe MJ and Peter are here to stay. We can only hope. And then we cut to a shocking reveal. The vermin guy. We keep forgetting yes. about him, but he's always creeping. Now, I was wondering where, he, where he's been. Yeah, this is what he does. He, he hides, he goes away, and then he pops back in at the end of the issue to remind you that he's lurking around every corner. Yeah. So he's in a cemetery in some kind of, like, abandoned crypt. Yeah. Yeah, and he sees a picture frame. Wait a minute. This is, like, in, in the crypt. It looks like a picture on a wall. Or, or no, no, he's looking into a mirror. It must be it's some a kind of live magic stream thing. He has some kind of a mirror or something which allows him what it looks like allows him to spy on Peter because he sees yeah. an image of Peter hugging Felicia after he revealed his identity to her. So this villain, the vermin guy, the guy that's bandaged up and has that big disgusting centipede-looking thing coming off his back all the time, he said in a previous issue that he knows. Peter Spider-Man better than Spider-Man knows himself. And now maybe we have a little window into why that is. Looks like he's watching him like a stalker. Yeah. But he's also wearing like red and blue colors in a Spider-Man-esque fashion. You picked up on that too. Yeah. We theorize so his that his costume he might be... evoked uh, some some similarity. Right. It invokes some similarity which maybe gives some credence to our theory from a previous episode that he is he is Spider-Man from an alternate timeline or from the future, but somehow he's very personally connected to Spider-Man. 
Yeah. And uh, he is not happy about this uh, black cat thing. No. Why don't you read his dialogue here in your, your vermin voice? All right. Let's see. She doesn't deserve this. You just keep dragging more and more people into your hell, Pete. But someday soon, it'll just be me and you. <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone who had to listen to that. Yeah, that's, I feel nauseous. That's so gross. Yeah. Great, though. Great delivery there. Thank the you. bottom line is he's not happy that Peter revealed his identity. Almost, I read it as jealousy. It, it almost feels like he reveres Spider-Man as like a deity. And he's saying, I think, you're so special, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be revealing yourself to scum like Black Cat. Yeah, here's, here's a, a few out there theories. Okay. On my, uh, on my end here. He says, someday soon it'll just be me and you. And it's he's upset when he sees Peter with with Felicia, right? Yeah. What if, what if this villain vermin dude is not a dude, but a female? The trench coat might not be a trench coat; it might be a dress. Yeah, it's a possibility. Because it's all bandaged up, we don't know what's going on. So you're there. saying that this vermin guy is. MJ from an alternate timeline or it's just it's something something that's in love with him yeah I do so I agree with you there, there I think there is something there where he he is not he or she doesn't hate Spider-Man but maybe in a way loves Spider-Man to an unhealthy degree and somehow that will cause this entity to do some pretty pretty crazy stuff yeah but we'll see still hey, mystery what did you think were you as I, I've been speaking very positively of these few issues. To me, I keep saying that there's a dial for this, right? There's the overall crazy silliness. There's the drama. It turned a little too far to the silly for me, the last few issues. But these three, for Heist, turned the dial back a bit and got it to a spot that, for me, was pretty ideal. I agree. It's a good balance between humor, action, and drama. And we've got some, some good mysteries. Vermin Guy, what is the vault all about? The Guild of Thieves? When I heard the title of the story arc, Heist, and I saw a picture of Peter Parker and Black Cat, I thought, oh, no, another one of these silly jaunts, a lark, <laughs> where Spider-Man and Black Cat are going to team up in an unlikely adventure to steal something, but a lot more interesting than what I was expecting. So can't wait to see where this goes next. Me too. With that, yeah. And uh, I also want to know what Craven's been up to. Oh, I forget. Look at this. There's so much going on here. What's Craven up to? That's right. Does he have anything to do with Vermin Guy? Or are they Time two totally independent villains? A sinister two, if you will. <laughs> well, with that, you think we're going to wrap up now, don't you? you yeah. One more sec- segment. Quick one. Okay. <laughs> I told you, I want this to be our biggest episode yet. I don't know why. I just woke up and I thought, I want to make a big episode today. Editor's Corner. Big Splash? Yeah. Yeah, Big Splash. And today we're going to introduce a segment called The Editor's Corner. 
right. not corner like a like a dead person. Mm-hmm. Corner like the edge of a page. All this right. is a reference. I think everyone got that. Okay. <laughs> this is a reference to comic books. You know, in the back, a lot of times they'll have sort of an editor's page where they'll talk to you. They'll tell you about what's coming up, what's exciting in the world of comics, what you should look out for. Uh, this is our editor's corner. This is where we're going to get a little meta. We're going to talk about the podcast. We'll talk about anything we want. This is banter time, Adam. You love that. Finally. You I feel so restricted. You tell me all the time you feel handcuffed. <laughs> you know, I like Spider-Man. I like Batman. I like all this stuff. But I want to talk about some other stuff sometimes. Right now, all I wanted to do, really, honestly, is to spend about 30 seconds hyping up what is going to be... You're thinking to yourself, this was a big episode. How can we do an even bigger episode? The answer is it can only be done with the help of our Lord and Savior. I'm talking about the Christmas Spectacular. It's going to be coming in a few weeks. Yes. That's it for the Editor's Corner. I'm excited. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, just for yeah. a few seconds. Uh, if you listened or watched, well, that's the first thing to say. It's going to be video. And you're going to want to watch the video because we'll be in studio together. It's going to all be decorated for Christmas. Lights. Thinking about getting a candle. <laughs> Get the scent. Good Christmas scent. Will going to be Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Somebody will be there. Santa Dressed up as Santa. And we'll once again perform some Christmas-themed comics. Uh, Some of them are going to be a little interesting, a little off the wall, not exactly what you're expecting. We've got Christmas comic-themed games. This will get you in the Christmas spirit for sure. In the best way possible, through the power of comic books. Do you have anything to say about that, Adam? Your Christmas will be miserable. If you don't listen to this or Hanukkah, because we'll be celebrating Hanukkah as well. That's true. Yeah. It'll, it'll be an interfaith podcast. That's it for editor, editor's corner this week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on today's episode. I'm Gil. And I read comics. Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating, or if you have time, a review in Apple's podcast app. It really helps us out, helps us get more listeners, which will make it more fun for all of us. And if you want to get involved in the show, if you want to send in your feedback, comments, questions, if there's a particular comic you'd like us to talk about, then you can reach out via email gilreadscomics at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter at gilreadscomics.